Blaze Radio presents He He Check. This is Heat Check. It is a college football Friday edition of the program. We're recording it on a Thursday. You're hearing it on a Friday. I am Peyton Gallagher, my co-pilot, of course, as always. For today's episode, Gabe Swartz. And today, Gabe, we were up early because we weren't sleeping on our sleeper episode. That may have been a bad joke. I don't know. I'll, I'll let you decide at home. We are talking about the biggest sleeper teams in college football this year. There have been teams like this that have seized a national championship opportunity, like an LSU a couple years ago that nobody was really heralding in that sphere as a national championship contender. You could consider them a sleeper. You could consider a team like, I don't know, Iowa State, who kind of emerged from being a team that could never win more than nine games. And then getting to a New Year's Six Bowl game last year, you can consider them a sleeper. We've got stratas of sleepers here from across the country, but coming into this season where everything seems to be getting back to normal, I think that throws some interesting variables into the mix because we don't know how much we can really trust what we saw last year compared to this year. Yeah, I I think that it's – like you, you used LSU from a couple of years ago as an example. I think that's a perfect example of what are different relative to relative to expectations. What sleeper comes into terms yeah. as because mine isn't just national championship sleepers. It's not just college football playoff sleepers. It's sleepers to win their divisions or sleepers to get to a New Year's Six bowl game or sleepers to um, be a really a, a top 10 offense. And so that's oh. kind of a little bit of a sneak peek at what I've got coming. Um, but I think it's important to, to, as ESPN last week admitted that they, they've been too college football oriented, too college football playoff oriented in their coverage and that they want to have more discussions about what things mean um, to college football, to conference division races that don't actually impact the college football playoff, but they certainly matter to the fans and the schools that are involved in them. So I'm doing my part to shed light on that stuff <laughs> as much as possible rather you're than Don just talking about the top 10 teams. Yeah. You're Don Quixote uh, civilizing the masses. But yeah. Like we could even talk about a team like coastal Carolina who was picked to finish last in their league last year and ended up becoming America's team mullets versus Mormons. I thought it was funny. I listened to actually Jamie Chatwell talk about his team last year and what it would have been like to get the opportunity to potentially play Notre Dame to get that extra game in at the end of the year and how it could have been like mullets versus Mormons and then mullets versus Catholics the next week, which was his exact words, which I just thought was funny, but we don't get that story. If we always expect the teams that are going to be great to actually fulfill that we don't, we get teams every year that far surpass expectation, and we get teams every year that fall short of it. Now, we're not going to talk about the teams that we think are going to fall short of it today because we're not negative. But we've picked a couple teams that we each kind of have circled as, hey, we could look really smart puffing our chest up about that squad in the preseason when we look back at this in February. Yeah, and, and one of the conversations we had was – and that I asked was, do I have to 100% uh, stick my reputation to it? Do I have to claim that this is something that I 
foresee happening or is it something that I think could happen? I'll make that clear when I explain that these explain my choices um, because there's some that I believe in wholeheartedly and there's some that I think, you know, it could happen, but I also wouldn't necessarily bet on it. So that's where I'm at. I mean, hey, listen, that's the allure of swinging in a pinata. If you hit the pinata every time, wouldn't be as fun when the candy spilled out, but there could be some big payouts here. We'll just say this. Uh, do you want to get going with your first team? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll get going with my first team, and I'm going to start with the sleeper to have a top 10 offense in the country, and it is a program that was 59th in points per game last season. It's a program that lost – one of our favorite players in college football from last season. Am I tipping you off on any? I actually, I, it's not popping to mind. I may be stupid, but. Okay. It is the Indiana Hoosiers in my mind. Okay. Ty Fry Fogel, baby. Well, and they lost Wap Filliard. Ty Fry Fogel's back. Ty Fry Fogel is the legitimate all America candidate. They get USC transfer Stephen Carr at running back. The offensive line, they get four of the five starters back. You mentioned to me and you texted me about Ohio State. Ohio State is 13th in returning production. Wow. That that helps me think that Indiana could push them for the Big Ten. Clar- clarification, 13th in the conference. Not yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. 14. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's what I meant to say. Um, it makes me think that Indiana could push Ohio State for the Big Ten East title to yep. get to Indianapolis. Maybe that's a possibility. But considering that, I thought their offense was pretty good last year. And mm-hmm. at least in my ma- mind, they were, I understand Michael Penix jr. Got hurt again, um, yeah. which sucked. And that was three straight seasons with a season ending injury. I think honestly, his health is what determines this because they were really good when he was at the helm and when he wasn't, they weren't as great. So 59th in points per game, I would have thought as I was looking through the numbers for a reminder, I would have thought that that number would have been higher. So to see this, I think that they could come in and if all goes according to plan, I think that they could hit this mark and be, I'm not going to say automatically a new year's six team, because I know that last year they kind of got snubbed from, from a new year's six bowl. And if things go the same way, although I will say they get Ohio state at home this season. Yeah. um, And that certainly matters. They'll have to go to Penn state. And I think they have to go uh, to Michigan, I believe. Um, I haven't looked at the schedule again. I was just trying to remember that. But I like Indiana as a top 10 offense, as a sleeper, because I don't think it's anything people are going to anticipate and expect. I think people think that Indiana is going to get by on the way of explosive plays, but not consistently explosive offense. And they're going to get by on a good defense, which could absolutely be the case. But I think the offense has higher upside than people are anticipating. Yeah, it all depends on Michael Penix. Again, you mentioned he's had the injury issues, put on weight last year and was looking much more durable than he had previously. But then the ACL injury on a play where he was just trying to stretch a ball for the end zone, I think he actually scored uh, going for the pylon, but tore that ACL, kind of derailed them a little bit. I like this. I think that if you're going to hit Ohio State right now is the time to do it while they're changing over at quarterback for the first time in a couple of years. We don't know what that quarterback situation is going to look like. All the options are good options, quite frankly, for Ryan Day, whether it's C.J. Stroud or any of the other two quarterbacks that are competing for it. I think that uh, Stroud's the the guy that is the favorite in the clubhouse right now. 
all of them performed really well at the spring game. They've got the weapons, but they lost a lot. They lost 50% of their overall production. And I think Indiana, if you were going to pick a team in that half of the conference to beat Ohio State, I think it is Indiana. And for them to do that, the offense is going to be as good as you said that you think they're going to be, right? Yeah, because you can't just – like college football has changed so much, and even Nick Saban has admitted this. His Alabama teams and the way that they play have admitted this. You can't beat teams 20 to 13 anymore. And if you do, the margin for error is so much smaller. Um, and we've seen that with Big Ten Championship game last year with Northwestern with a team that really couldn't do too much offensively and just tried to grind things out. Didn't really work out. So if Indiana is going to win against Ohio State, and I'm not claiming that they're going to, but I'm claiming that I think that they could easily be a top 10 offense this year. Um, under the stipulation that Michael Penix Jr. is healthy. So if he is not healthy and he gets hurt again, which very well could be a possibility because of the track record that we've seen, my hands are off of this take and I walk away. Um, if not, I like what I see from the Hoosiers and I think they could be really good this year. Yeah, they finished 59th in terms of total points last year. When mm-hmm. six and two gave Ohio State everything that they could handle in the shoe, ended up losing that game. Yeah, I don't hate this at all. I don't know how much of a sleeper they are, like truly, because I think people have kind of caught on to what Tom Allen's doing. But I think it's it's good that they get some love here on the show. Because that's why they, I stipulated it with that's why I stipulated it with top ten offense top 10 because offense. I think people think I think it's consensus they're going to be a preseason top twenty five team. It's consensus people think they're going to at least make some noise. But most everything I've read has been. Their defense is going to carry them. Their defense is going to be really good. Their offense is going to get the job done. I think their offense has a chance uh, with Penix and Freifogel to be consistently really good. And Stephen Carr with an experienced O-line could rack up some yards frequently. Yeah, I don't hate it at all. Want to hear where you go. All right, we're going to go to the ACC. One of my favorite teams in the country this year resides in – The city of Boston. Boston College, I think, is in for a very big year. The over-under on wins shocked me. It's seven. CBS and Chip Patterson actually told you to bet the under. Odds were plus 220 on that to bet the line of under seven, and I I just don't think that that's going to happen. Phil Dracovic averaged more passing yards per game last year for Boston College than any quarterback since Matt Ryan at 255.8. He was extremely good. I think he is up in the pantheon of guys that are the very top of this league, and that that includes the De'Ara Kings, the DJ Uyangalele is, of course, DJ much more talented than anybody else in that conference. Ceiling is higher, but based on what they've proven at the college level, Dracovic is right there. Sam Howell, even, I, I don't think is that far of a shout because... What Dracovic did last year, his first year in the Jeff Halfley scheme, all these players' first year, they actually threw the ball down the field at Boston College, which is something they just haven't done in pretty much a decade. And he showed the ability to do, to do that outside the pocket at an elite level, creating with his feet. I just don't understand why he's not gotten the hype. I think he, in this class where we don't really know where the top draft guys 
are. I, I think there is a realm of possibility in which he plays himself into the first round of the NFL draft. I think he has that kind of ability. When he went to Notre Dame two years ago before transferring to Boston College, he was number four dual threat in his class, right in that territory where a guy like Jaden Daniels exists and played like that last year. Another part of this is that they've got a guy that I absolutely adore in Zay Flowers, who is their number one receiver, super explosive. Sub 4'4", 40 guy, small, under 180 pounds, 5'10", 5'11", in cleats, but 892 receiving yards for him last year, nine touchdowns, and had three plays of 50-plus yards. So he's got that lightning-in-a-bottle type ability that can, like, bust a game open. And against elite teams, all you need him to do is make, like, one or two of those huge impact plays, and you're going to get yourself in a position where you've got a shot to – beat a team like that now when you look at the schedule it's not super super stacked right non-conference there are a couple of of tough opponents got missouri on the slate i'm not sure how good missouri's actually going to be but they come to town september 25th whole schedule goes as follows colgate at home at umass at Temple, that seems to be a trap game for teams from power conferences when they go down to play at Temple. Seems to be a struggle for them fairly routinely, but Boston College is the better of those two teams and should win. Missouri at home, that's their non-con. They start conference play at Clemson. That will obviously be difficult, but you get it out of the way early. That, I think, is a good thing. Then NC State at home at Louisville, a team that was way below expectations last year and lost a lot of their best players. At Syracuse. Virginia Tech at home, at Georgia Tech, Florida State at home, Wake Forest at home. So you think seven wins is, seven wins is the over-under? I think this team's winning nine or ten games. All right, so I'll assume a loss to Clemson. Yes. P- okay, you, to be fair. Know, I, I, Clemson, Boston College, for whatever reason, has played Clemson tight in the Valley in the past them and Pitt seem to find a way to push Clemson to the limit it's odd because you're not the first person you're not the first person that I've seen uh, I read an article from 247 sports that had Boston College as a sleeper team this year but the odds makers don't love them they have the fifth best odds behind Clemson NC State Louisville and Florida State all to win the ACC Atlantic Division I understand that part of that is incentivizing betting and Florida state is always going to have a lower number than BC for the most part in terms of winning the ACC. They have the eighth best odds at plus 5,000, which both of those would be nuts. Yeah. But in terms of sleeping in relative terms, you're saying low over unders. Is that what you're saying? Like yeah, we're just underestimating I, how many I games feel- they win. I feel better about this team than I feel about North Carolina. I feel better about this team than I think I feel about Florida State. I, I would say that I am confident that they are the third best team in the ACC, and I think they might just be right there with Miami. Wow. Okay. I'm super high on this team. I'm super high on Jeff Halfley. The turnaround they made last year, how competitive they were from day one inheriting a team that didn't have a ton going on. I just think that this is a team now that knows who they are, is a tough, organized, 
explosive group. And I trust that under his direction, I don't think he's going to be there very long. The big job is going to probably come calling after this year. And I just think that this team is in a position where they're returning a lot of stuff. That's always a number that I kind of look for on these sleeper teams. Like who's coming back? Boston College team is returning 81% of their defense and all the important parts of their offense. I think they're in a really good spot. Yeah, I think that that's a fair thing to assume and a fair, like, I don't really think he'll be coaching Boston College for a crazy long period of time. Um, I, I would not be surprised if Phil Dracovich goes, like, for 3,500 passing yards and, like, 200 rushing yards and 30 total touchdowns. If he's a first-round pick, this is going to look very, very smart for you. But I don't even think he needs to be because, like, I would classify what Griff said about Florida pretty smart last year, and Kyle Trask didn't end up being a first-round pick. So I'll I'll give you that. Um, I'll give you my ACC team, and it comes from the other division. It, Hmm. By definition, I didn't want it to be the team that was favored to win the conference or, or favored to win its division. Okay. Um, so I wasn't going to say that North Carolina was a sleeper to beat Clemson and win the conference. But what I will say is I think that Miami, which is under North Carolina in the odds, is a sleeper to win the Coastal Division, represent the Coastal Division in the title game, and make a New Year's Six Bowl. I'm not going to say make the playoff, but I'm going to say if they lose to Clemson in that ACC title game, they could find themselves playing in a New Year's Six Bowl. Um, and I understand I was negative on Derek King during the Heisman the, the Heisman uh, episode that we recorded a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And you pushed back on me on that. So I think that you're actually going to be behind me a little bit on this. What I do like is that the Alabama game week one has no bearing on the conference standings. And therefore, they can lose that game and it doesn't necessarily matter um, in terms of getting to the ACC title game. It doesn't necessarily matter in terms of unless they get absolutely dog walked. It, it doesn't matter about yeah. their national ranking necessarily. They'll probably be top 15 preseason. Maybe they'll sneak into the top 10. I don't know how high the national media will be on them. But if they lose that game and they end up in the 20s or so, and then they get Michigan State. They win at North Carolina on October 16th. They win at Florida State, who I think is going to be better than most people do because I like Mackenzie Milton. I like Mike Norvell. That's on November 13th. That's near the end of the season. If they win those games, they also get Michigan State in the non-conference at home, which even though we don't think Michigan State's going to be very good, it is a power conference team coming to you in a non-conference game. So two power conference teams in non-conference play, the schedule is going to be decent. If Derek King, even if he's not a Heisman contender, if he's just Derek King, he's electric and he's in the discussion, um, in the national conversation, I think, right. I think Miami can make it to a new year's six bowl. Um, and yeah. I don't think, I don't think I certainly know that more people are talking about North Carolina doing that than them. Yeah, no, I think this Miami team, I think is deservedly getting from actual college football people, the people who like really follow this stuff. Miami is being accurately appraised, which is a top 10 team 
that may not have the goods to push Clemson really, but should probably be the second best team in this conference. And is there is so much more to like about this team than North Carolina. I don't think the casual thinks that, but when we talk about Miami, if they're able to replicate the pass rush that they had last year, given you're losing Quincy Roche and you're losing Jordan Phillips, which that hurts, but if they can do that, and Manny Diaz has done a really good job of scheming up pass rush, you're going to have a really good defense, and the offense should be awesome. I mean, we talked about everything that they've brought back in previous episodes. They have really, total transfer island candidate, Charleston Rambo. They do. It really, I think, depends on the health of De'Aaron King. One guy that I'm going to highlight just because I absolutely – Love him. Another one of hashtag my guys, which we'll do on a later episode. Starting safety of that team for me is Bubba Bolton, who is just as tough as they come. Awesome playmaker in the Miami back end. What comes to mind is that game at Clemson. He blocked two kicks. He busted open the bridge of his nose or blood pouring down his face. He's got a stereo strip on a la Devin Booker. Hashtag rally the valley. Hashtag sons and four. I love Bubba Bolton. I love the attitude that he brings, and I think that's kind of the attitude that this Miami team has to hold this year. I don't know. Again, I don't know how much of a sleeper they really are. I'm kind of disappointed in you, but oh come on! Unless you're going to tell me they're going to be Clemson. No, I just think that I think that they are a sleeper in the sense that if you were to lay out New Year's Six bowl teams at this point. The ACC, everyone would say Clemson is going to the playoff and North Carolina is going to a New Year's Six Bowl. I think so. I don't know about that one. I think just about everyone is saying that, aside from you who's really down on North Carolina. And now me. Maybe. Boston College, book it. it this, is, this is my safest sleeper. I'm going to give you my other contenders that I just like – didn't necessarily go to, but like, I'll get there. Okay. All right. This one's going to make you happy. Okay. On Wisconsin at Graham Mertz. I thought about this one. I think it's a dark horse team to like make the playoff. Really? We already talked about what Ohio state lost. Wisconsin was bad last year by their standards. They did not achieve the way they should have, but I think part of that was massive disruption because of COVID. I think part of that was, I still believe in Graham Mertz. Maybe I'm a fool. He did not play well last year, but was playing through a shoulder injury. COVID brain. COVID brain, also part of it. Got COVID early in the year. Now, it could be a situation where it's like LeBron James saying, coming out uh, for post-game media availability after they got swept by the Warriors or whatever and saying, ah, I broke my hand. That's partially broken hand. So, I mean, the shoulder injury may or may not have been significant and may or may not have actually like hampered his play. I'm going to choose to believe that it did. I think he's going to break out next year. I think when you look at this team and the schedule, you immediately see that in the regular season, they're going to avoid Ohio state and Indiana, their best game of the year is a non-conference game against Notre Dame, who I don't think is going to be that good. And part of me really just hopes that Jack Cohen starts that game for Notre Dame. 
I mean, I think he will. Revenge. I mean, like, you get to go out and try and beat the guy who beat you out and took your starting job in Graham Mertz. That would just be cool. Because of that, though, I think Wisconsin better than Notre Dame. It sets them up to where they could afford to maybe lose a game at some point, even if it is a conference championship game, and still get into the playoff. I think that's possible. Now, the defense is going to be the key. It's going to be the backbone, at least. Jack Sanborn is coming back. He's one of the better linebackers, interior guys in the country. That defense only allowed 17 points per game and only 28 rushing first downs last year, so they're a great rush defense. But uh, I kind of misspoke. I think more so the key is the offense, and they just didn't have the running back that they normally have last year. They, they didn't have the Monty Ball, the Melvin Gordon, the Jonathan Taylor guy that they've had in the past, and I think they got that in Ches Malusi, who's a transfer they got from Clemson was going to be the starter at Clemson probably this year, backed up Travis Etienne last year, had 427 rushing yards and six touchdowns, the number two guy, was a four-star uh, Army All-American dude, decided to transfer to Wisconsin, and I think he's going to be that feature back for them that gets some 1,500 yards that they need. And that'll free up a lot in the passing game for Graham Mertz. I think that this team is going to be very good, and I would not be surprised at all if they kind of bunk the stigma around them that has them in that Florida tier of, yeah, they're usually pretty good every year, but they're never really going to be a threat to do anything. I think this Wisconsin team is the team that probably has the best chance to do something since Paul Chris took over. They have to start, start hot though. Yes. Because they open with Penn state. Yep. They get Notre Dame in their third game, which is week four. They is get that hit. game in Ireland? The Penn state game? No, it's at Camp Randall. Why is that happening? Because the Big Ten is deciding to play conference games week one. Fair like enough. That's a, that's a huge one. I think Nebraska is playing Illinois in week zero. So I know somebody, some Big Ten team is going to play in Ireland. I think it's Northwestern. Maybe not this year, but at some point in the like, future. Yeah, yeah. Soon. Like Penn State did it back when they were under the sanctions and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to like to get to that point, Penn State, Notre Dame, Michigan is three of their first four games. Um, they there's just not enough bite in the back end of their schedule for them to make up the necessary ground um if yeah. they don't start hot. But you mentioned it, they don't play Ohio State, they don't play Indiana. So you have me in on them getting to Indy. And if they get to Indy, then they just have to beat one of those two teams, whoever gets there, probably, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm in on that. I'm in on Graham Merce being better than he was last year. I'm in on Danny Davis, Kendrick Pryor being better and being helpful in terms of making Graham Mertz look better. And I'm also in on just Wisconsin's defense being what it has been. And yeah. that is really good. And probably I think they'll be better than Northwestern and Northwestern was the class of the big 10 defensively yeah, last season and lost a ton. Northwestern did exactly. Which weakens the, the big 10 West division. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that honestly, one of the toughest games that they will have that we're not talking about is the Iowa game um, in terms of making sure that they get to Indianapolis and that's in, that's at the end of October. But I'm in on Wisconsin, and if you want to say, if you're saying sleeper playoff team, 
I walked up to that line, but then I didn't go to it because I thought you would push back on that. So. No, and I'm saying they're a sleeper because of what happened last year. That's the first time I saw Paul Chris team play without edge. Like that, that team didn't have much bite to them. Didn't have that same kind of like doggedness that most Wisconsin teams have that toughness. Didn't feel like they presented that as much, but I'm just going to blame that on COVID. Yeah. Like I, 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 I would completely agree. And I would say it's really easy to just sleepwalk your way through a season when there's all this COVID stuff, the big 10 got started later. All of, all of those things. Yeah, and hardly a team in the country was as disrupted as Wisconsin was last year, and certainly none of as high a profile as them. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay, you gave a sleeper playoff team. I'll give you my sleeper playoff team, and it, you might be not you might not be very happy with me again <laughs> because it's it's not a team hmm, actually. I don't know. I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if it's bold enough. Keep on hedging. Keep on hedging. No, okay. I'm just going to say, I think Oregon to go to the college football playoff. Is that is that too soft? That's not soft at all. My okay. goodness. Okay. From the top row. Hedge God Gabe. Because from the, from the odds makers, they are the favorite to win the Pac-12. And I know that they might not be in your eyes. You might well, the odds favorite. makers pandered to the masses of like what normally happens and what people are just going to assume is going to happen year over year. It doesn't necessarily mean it's likely. But they're not mega favorites. Like they're plus 285. Yeah, because they know people plus, will put money down on them. Yeah, USC's 300, Washington's yeah. 300, ASU's plus 450, Utah and UCLA are plus 1,000, plus 1,100. So there's where they stand on that. I think that there are some super questions about the offense and who plays quarterback, but they get all five starters back on the offensive line. And part of that is because Sewell opted out. They get CJ Verdell back, Travis dies back. That will help for whoever ends up getting the start at quarterback. And the defense is going to be wicked. Yeah. And the defense has the best defender in the country. In my eyes, I think I would take Thibodeau over Stingley. I, I, I was going to say Noah Sewell. Sewell, who could might be the best guy on that defense. Yeah. yeah. And the guy who scares me, the, probably scares me the most, Justin Flo as well. Mm-hmm. Like, they I got dudes on that I'm, defense. I'm absolutely in on the two best teams in the Pac 12 being the two best defenses in the Pac 12 and two of the top 10 defenses in the country. And I think that's going to be Oregon. And I think it's going to be ASU. And at the end of the day, I think. I think I net out on Oregon's overwhelming four-star blue chip. Like if you go blue check, uh, blue chip prospect ratings, Oregon's going to be higher. And so that's my tiebreaker. And they are plus 5,000 to win the national championship, which is like 12th best odds. It's, they are going to be like, there are some intimidating individuals on that defense Really talented guys in the back end. That's where they're going to have to do a ton of replacing with guys like Javon Holland. Pretty much that entire secondary actually moving on to the NFL. They had a couple opt-outs, but a lot of the key players they've had are gone. Dante Manning was a highly, highly touted prospect that will step in, probably play a lot more this year. They've had a bunch of guys recruited highly back into their defense. I'm not too worried about that. 
I think Washington is a team that's going to be pretty good and a little bit better than expected, depending on quarterback play. The question for Oregon is that same spot, though. What is what are they going to get from their quarterback? Is it going to be Ty Thompson, another guy from the Valley region that goes and starts for another school in the Pac-12? I saw him in person a couple of years ago. I called one of his games in the state playoffs. Super talented arm wasn't surrounded with much talent. So it was hard to gauge what he could be, but I was shocked to learn that he was actually in the quarterback battle at Oregon as a true freshman. That was surprising. So I'm interested to see what that happens or if that happens. And then Anthony Brown, I think brings dimensions to that offense that we've not seen since they had, well, quite frankly, since they had like Vernon Adams in terms of a runner. Yeah. So I'm interested to see what happens there. I think, Okay, so the two the two negatives, the two things I would point out of like why this yeah. wouldn't happen is number one schedule. They go to Ohio State, they go to Utah, they go to Washington. All three of those are games that one Ohio State is certainly they're going to be underdogs. Washington they might be underdogs. Utah I'd say they probably will be slight favorites. All three of those are tough, and if they lose at Ohio State, which is early in the season, they basically have to pitch a perfect game in the Pac-12 and go undefeated. No one has done that since, I guess, Oregon didn't even do that when they went to the playoff. I don't think anyone has ever gone 9-0 through the Pac-12 slate, which is very Pac-12 of them. The other thing I would say is, and I, I think that this is a negative that people are saying about them, I would disagree because I think turnovers are somewhat fluky and somewhat of a trend that can be overturned just by pure luck. They only forced mm-hmm. seven turnovers last year. And I think that they will yeah. obviously do more because they'll play more games. I think they will also just do more because Sewell is older. Flo is older. Thibodeau is going to be as good as he possibly will be in his Oregon career this year. Yeah. He's going to get drafted. As long as the motor is still high and such. But um, I would think he'll be highly motivated to lock up uh, number one overall or number two overall pick in this draft. So that's my thoughts on Oregon. And I think that they are a sleeper to go to the college football playoff, um, which I was looking around, haven't heard a lot of people saying that, but they are the favorite to win the PAC 12. So I guess what I'm saying is I think that they will win the PAC 12 like other people do, but I also think that they will be highly thought enough of to go to the college football playoff. Yeah. I I just think so much of it's going to ride on how well do they show against Ohio state. I really do. Yeah. Like they can't get, they can't get drilled in that game. Yeah. Cannot get run over in that game. And like it, like you said, it's very difficult for whatever reason to run the table in the PAC 12, the PAC 12 has produced good teams that just couldn't get it done. And for Oregon to do that with uncertainty at quarterback seems a little bit of a stretch to me. But if they can, or if they can beat Ohio State, who at that point in time might be as vulnerable as they're going to be, they do have a chance to make the playoffs. So I I don't hate this at all. One of the things that has been hard for people to go undefeated in the Pac-12 is part part of that thing is sending teams on the road on Friday nights. Yeah. Oregon plays one Friday game this year. It's a home game and it's a home game coming off of a bye and it's against Cal. So that suits up very well for them. It does. 
I'll stay in the Pac-12 for my next one. Jump man, jump man. Them boys up to something. Okay. UCLA. You were on them with you were on them with the DTR on the Heisman episode, and you're on them here. I think quietly Chip Kelly figured it back out a little bit last year. Like honestly. Rotating quarterbacks and not having DTR available for every game. This offense averaged 455 yards per game and 35 points per game. They only scored under 34 twice, two wins against Arizona and ASU. Were you aware of that, how prolific this offense was? I mean, they were – it felt like they scored more than they did against ASU because they just moved the ball a bunch. Absolutely. They bring back 91% of their total production, though, which is second in the country. I think a lot of this rides on DTR's health. Obviously, I've seen how highly I think of him. They're adding Zach Charbonnet to the backfield, so we'll see how that impacts things. They're losing Demetric Felton. That's like the only key starter they're really losing. But I really liked what Britton Brown showed late in the year as a guy who kind of established himself as their bell cow dude because Felton was more of a gadget guy. Averaged 6.6 yards per carry last year, 543 yards. Like I said, Charbonnet comes in to dispel him, which will be interesting. And then Greg Dulcich is just one of the most unguardable guys in the league from a matchup standpoint. Their starting tight end was their leading pass catcher last year. Defense should be good. I think that this UCLA team can win the conference. I think they're a bigger threat to ASU in the South and USC. I stated that multiple times. I think that there's very clearly a top three in this league right now. UCLA, ASU, and Oregon. I don't think USC is a part of it. I think this UCLA team's a cut above them, and I think that they're probably going to win nine or ten games. Do you think that they're going to beat LSU week one? (sighs) (laughs) I'll say this. I think think highly of LSU this year, and I think it's a coin flip. (laughs) Okay, because I – what I, like I almost that, I almost included LSU on this list. I had I had a sleeper LSU to win the SEC West. And I just couldn't do it because of how high I am on AM, but I think it's going to be those three teams at the top, including Alabama. It will be one of those three. I can almost guarantee you that. It ain't going to be Auburn. Bo Nix. It ain't going to be Ole Miss. <laughs> and one of those three teams will probably win the SEC as well. Like, shout out to Georgia, but I, I kind of prefer all three of those teams. I, hey, LSU figured some stuff out at the end of last year. Yeah. They've got a ton of talent in their secondary with Elijah Ricks, Derek Stingley, probably the best corner duo based on talent in the country. Keyshawn Boutte, love that. I think it, it really does depend to me, is Max Johnson the starting quarterback? If, if it's Miles Brennan, I'm out. So, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're on the same page there. If Max Johnson starts against UCLA, I'm picking LSU and vice versa if it's Brennan. Yeah, but I hope you just don't have that information when we make picks <laughs> week one. I hope it's still up in the air. Well, if it's still up in the air, that might be a bad sign. Yeah, maybe uh, just a little bit. If, if Coach O feels the need to hide it. Um, yeah, I had LSU to win the SC West as an other contender. My thought on UCLA, mm-hmm. they have the six best odds to win the Pac-12. They have the third best odds tied with Utah to win the Pac-12 South. And I think that everyone 
uh, is just assuming that it's going to be USC, Arizona State, November 6th, basically to decide the Pac-12 South. Yeah. But UCLA could throw a wrench in the plans there. Utah could throw a wrench in the plans there. And it wouldn't surprise me if both of those programs uh, beat one of the two of those programs each. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if Utah catches USC and UCLA catches ASU because ASU goes to the Rose Bowl this Mm -hmm. year, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, With that being said, UCLA really has to get something going early because that's a hard sell. Like that's a hard ticket to get sold in LA. It's just, it's a super hard draw out of the North too, which doesn't inspire a ton of confidence. They got to go to Stanford, to Washington, and they host Oregon. That's extremely difficult. Then at USC, it will be tough for them, but I will say this, that there was more of a sharpness and a edge to reuse a word I used from earlier with UCLA last year than any other year under Chip Kelly. Like the stupid, dumb, like what is going on? UCLA is a dumpster fire mistakes. Didn't happen as much last year, I didn't feel like. And particularly so when DTR was the quarterback. So again, I just think a lot of this rides on his ability to maintain his health and stay the starter for the full 12 games on the regular season schedule. Yeah. Which we'll, we'll see if that's possible. Uh, He feels like, he feels like a lesser known Derek King to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the play style is the same. The injuries haven't been quite as serious, but hasn't always played every, every game, but has the explosive ability and like has the repetitions and the, the experience in the, sport um to do to make some noise this year and i you know what i love that they're this big market team that feels like always has inflated expectations and never lives up to them and it's the opposite nobody sees them coming this year yeah i mean the last time we had ucla buzz was josh rosen and the last time we did uh before then like man hundley yeah brett hundley and the brett hundley experiment came or the brett hundley uh Heisman buzz just died in Charlottesville, Virginia. Yeah. Horribly bad, horribly (laughs) bad game. That game. Um, My other contenders, I think I was going to say sleeper number one offense in the country. I just don't think it's that huge of a sleeper. Like Ole Miss is going to put up a ton of points. I was just going to go out on a limb and say that they're going to be the number one offense in terms of total points. And then I don't know, dude. They lost a, uh, losing Elijah Moore and Kenny. Yeah, boy, that's not going to be easy for them. True. And then I was just going to say, along the same lines of everybody thinking it's USC or ASU, Utah to win the South in the Pac-12. You. I just think, like, if you want to talk sleepers, we're sleeping on them. Everybody's sleeping on them. I think for good reason. Counterpoint to that would be Charlie Brewer. I mean, I uh, I do have to apologize. Earlier in the year, we were talking about Charlie Brewer and we're wondering whether or not he'd be the starter because Jake Bentley, we thought, was there. ESPN lied to me. ESPN said that he still played there. He does not. He plays for South Alabama now. Jake Bentley does. So hmm. there you go. You're like seven for him. 
will be with the Jags. Tough scene. Tough scene. You got any other contenders that you didn't, other than LSU, that you didn't get to? A&M, not much of a sleeper in the grant context, but I think is a team that will, I mean, I that's the team I think I'm staking my rep, reputation on this year, right? It's kind of what the appearance has been. It sounds like it. And a lot of it rides on Haynes King and the quarterback play, as it does for a lot of these teams. But I think A&M, again, is a team that kind of breaks through the glass ceiling. They exist in this tier with, like, Wisconsin, Notre Dame even, Florida, that we're like, yeah, they're good, but are they good, right? Are they Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, like, legit playoff? good and none of those teams to date have really broken through that glass ceiling i think a&m has the best opportunity to do so and the reason i think they're different than the all talk teams of the past with them is because jimbo fisher has done it unlike kevin someone he has been a part of national championship caliber teams as an assistant and as a head coach i think that's kind of what he's got on hand this year and the last time by the way that he did go win a national championship. He was starting a redshirt freshman, starting quarterback. Well, Haynes King is that. That's true. And we didn't have like really any buzz on Jameis preseason as a Heisman guy. I will say I watched his, his spring game and I was all in. I watched him at the elite 11. And then a year later I watched his spring game. I'm like, this is, this is a guy. Okay. Yeah. I'm, you have me intrigued on AM. intrigued is where i'm at does that does that count as a sleeper because nobody's going to pick them to win the sec and nobody's going to pick them to go to the playoff and i think i am yeah like i think the definition of sleeper it's the old fantasy football thing you know what i mean it's like it's all about value it's all about value if somebody thinks that uh what's a good example of this Man, if somebody thinks – I'm trying to think of like a middle-of-the-pack running back in the league right Like now. Miles Sanders. Yeah, if somebody thinks Miles Sanders is the 10th best running back in fantasy and you're like, I think he's the fourth. I mean, a top-10 running back is a top-10 running back. It's still, by your value, he, people are sleeping on people him. People are sleeping on him. I think people are sleeping on a and I think this def- that defensive line is going to be the best in the conference. Like, look out. I, I think this AM team is going to be really damn good. That's where I'm at with like Oregon is yeah. I think I think they're really good. And I think people know they're really good. I just think they don't know how good. Yeah. 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 Like I think I think when we start predicting playoff teams, I think I'm gonna have Oregon in my four. So okay. that's that's where that's where I'm at as of uh Thursday, June 24th of 20. You're not going to tell me that uh, Kansas is going to be better than expected. Kansas will. Uh, let me give me a second. Running some triple option. The, the, the Lance Leipold show coming mm-hmm. to. Uh, let me get the team totals up. I, I believe. I believe. Oh, is Bovada's going to want to be tough with me right now. It just won't, it won't load. Last time I saw it, Kansas over under was set at exactly one win and it was minus 200. And I would just say like, do what you want with your own money, but hammer that. 
there's no way Kansas doesn't fluke their way into one win this year. And at that way, at that, you just get a push. I'll say this though, like with Leipold guys who have that level of success at any level, there's usually a really good reason for that. Chris Kleiman immediately made the jump at Kansas state and was at a spot where they were really competitive day one. I could see where Leipold has, I mean, he's got a lot of work to do just because of the position he's been left in, but I could see them winning more than a game. The fact that he was at the helm of a program. Like they lost. Fringe top 25 team. And he got a bunch of guys to follow him. That shows a good culture. It's just positive news at this moment, which is good, which is like, well, like very needed. Like, do you want to hear something ridiculous? Sure. Do you know his record at Wisconsin Whitewater? Oh, it was, oh, it was. It's obscene. Yeah, it's nuts. It is 109 and six. Like, that's Sean Wooden stuff. That's Gino Rayama stuff. Like, that's not possible. That will play. That will play for sure. Imminent power, football power, Kansas Jayhawks. I don't think so, but we're there. Whoa. Coming up. Bowl games. Make bowl games. Make bowl games. That'd be good. Good. That would be that would be good. Okay. Yeah, anything else? I think anything else on the on this line uh, I mean, I could tell you all about like random teams from the Mac. I think that's a waste of time for folks. I would also I think Louisiana, if we were going to this 12 team playoff this year, I actually prefer Louisiana to a team like Cincinnati. Louisiana is bringing back everything, number one in the nation in terms of returning production. We're just barely eked out by Coastal when they played. I absolutely think that Louisiana will be right back there. I think Coastal will be there too. But if you're looking for like the best team out of the group of five, I think it could be a fun belt squad and it won't be the one that you're thinking of. We haven't talked any big 12 aside from joking about Kansas, but I would say the big 12 team that I would say people are sleeping on is TCU. Yes. Yes. Because they get JD Spielman this year. Big Max Dugan guys over here. Yeah, we are. Zach Evans, you're hoping makes the jump and becomes like an elite running back. And people are forgetting about him because Trayvon Morig is gone at, at safety and they got to replace that. But Gary Patterson's always been a defensive-oriented guy. He's always been able to somewhat fix that side of the ball. They so always have dudes. Like, every year they've got dudes on the defensive side of the ball. Not relative, relative to Big 12 standards, yeah. Yeah. But, no, it feels like he produces, like, a first-round draftable guy almost every year. Like, there's that guy that, like, sneaks into the back end of the first round from TCU almost every year. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, Merrick went in the second round, but that was a little bit of a surprise. So, like, they'll be okay, point being. They'll be okay on the defensive side of the ball. I think the offense will be pretty good. I, I actually like that. It's a good shout. There you go. So, you didn't like my Miami, but you like my TCU. Yeah. Scholarships and sanctions. Let's go. All right. I have a ton of these. And part of this is because we did the all-time draft on Sunday, and we didn't do scholarships and sanctions. So, this is an accumulation but my first one goes to scholarship to baseball, but it is in relation to football because they announced that the Holiday Bowl 
now that Qualcomm Stadium is defunct and, and is being knocked down, the Holiday Bowl is going to be played at Petco Park beginning this year. So cool. And I like more bowl games in baseball stadiums. Shout out the Cheez-It Bowl. Shout out TCU and Cal. Shout out the nine interception game. <laughs> so, um, uh, the What's the bowl game in New York now called? They play Pinstripe Bowl. Pinstripe Bowl. Because it mm-hmm. used to be like the Russell something or another. Russell doesn't exist anymore. No, it's the Russell Athletic like Pinstripe Bowl. I'll come. I'll come. Mm-hmm. Um, now, now I think it's New Era. New Era. That's what it is. Yes, that's what it is. Uh, scholarship here goes to the legal system. More importantly, our Supreme Court justice who enjoys beer, Justice Kavanaugh. Hearings going on right now with uh, name image likeness. Here's the direct quote. Just validating, vindicating things that I've felt for a very long time to be self-apparent. I think a lot of people have. Here's the direct quote. This is from USA Today. Nowhere else in America can businesses get away with agreeing not to pay their workers a fair market rate on the theory that their product is defined by not having their workers at a fair market rate. Yeah, pretty much. Quote, the NCAA is not above the law. It's telling. It's very telling that the lawmakers, Supreme Court justices, Twitter, America in general doesn't agree on anything. And the Supreme Court went nine, nine, nothing, nine, nothing on this. Here's the last thing that I'll read. And I just thought that this was pretty apt. This is again from Kavanaugh. All the restaurants in a region cannot come together to cut cooks wages on the theory that customers prefer to eat food from low paid cooks. That's what the NCAA is. Well, (laughs) okay. And so I feel like that's an extreme take because it's not like we're just like starving kids and be like, all right, go play sports. It's like, we're giving you full ride scholarship and all this. The argument outside of it is all the good stuff about NIL, which I agree with and all of that. But uh, yeah, and apparently, I mean, like the news is that like, it sounds like the NCAA, now they said this a billion times before, they put a date on it that they mean to have restrictions in place for this and make it amenable to use by early July. So in the next couple of weeks, I get first. I'm seeing players put their DMs um, or not their DMs opening up their DMs to potential business partners. Uh, (laughs) Kayvon Thibodeau scholarship to him for savvy business saying he wants equal equity deals. Only the direct quote on his Instagram story was if you want a mascot call puddles, which that's badass. That's really cool. Shout out Kayvon. He's gotten some good pub in this episode. Um, All right. My first of two sanctions, I've got three scholarships, goes to privacy. I don't know if you saw this story. Um, Greg Gard. Yeah. Wisconsin basketball coach Greg Gard had a secret recording. um, Was secretly recorded. He got Sean Millard. He got Sean Millard by his own team. (laughs) (laughs) Um, During the meeting – this is from ESPN during the meeting forward, Nate Reavers 
tells guard that quote, we don't have a relationship and that quote, I personally don't think or feel like you care about our future aspirations. Guard Walt McCrory tells guard quote, I don't know if I'll ever talk to you again after this. And then at the end, very like just very last sentence of the article uh, from ESPN. Although the NCAA gave seniors the options to return for one more year of eligibility because of the pandemic, Brad Davison is the only one of Wisconsin's seven 2020-2021 seniors who plans to play for the Batchers next year. Brad Davison, tougher than you. <laughs> Brad Davison has really? stuck, stuck around, stuck around, stuck around longer than a uh, spider tack has in the MLB. <laughs> I think he's got the uh, the Tom Thibodeau thing of like, I'm not happy unless I'm unhappy. That's that's his mantra, I think. Why would I do anything other than play college basketball when I can keep playing college and be basketball? Miserable doing it. <laughs> and make other people miserable doing it. <laughs> Including uh, the people who watch you. <laughs> what? A scholarship to Urban Magic Johnson. I don't know if you've seen this tweet, but he's, he's had a good time in Greece. And <laughs> incredible. If you look closely, he posted a picture of like his location on Google Maps on a screenshot using Cricket Wireless. So that might be a sanction. <laughs> I mean, I heard Matt Kling uses it, uses it as well. So, okay, it's validated. <laughs> That's all I needed to hear on Twitch. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's that. My feel good scholarship goes to Jake Olson, the former. Uh, long snapper for USC. There was a good story on ESPN.com this week by Dan yeah. Murphy um, talking about a company that Olson is working on called Engage, which is going to assist athletes once the NIL rules are um, allowed in contacting and connecting student athletes with companies for bookings and engagements. Um, and it was a good story delved into Olson and his time at USC, his relationship with his roommates who didn't really think like who thought he was just a comedian when the first email they ever got from him was him saying that he was blind and that he was going to try out to play on the USC football yeah. team. Um, just awesome stuff. So go read that. That's my, that's one of my other scholarships. A scholarship to Brendan Beck. It very tough yesterday against Vanderbilt. Stanford was up in an elimination game, five to four. And the Pac-12 pitcher of the year, Brendan Beck, was absolutely dealing. He retired eight in a row, struck out the first five guys he saw, was rolling along. Vandy had nobody on with two outs, down one. Vandy was able to string together a couple singles, score a runner, tie the game up, had runners on second and third, and Beck skied a curveball that went over the catcher's head, and Vandy walked it off on a wild pitch. Scholarship to him, though, for keeping his head high through all of it. That has to be the most harrowing, spine-chilling thing to have happen to a college athlete. Like, I can't even imagine that. But has had an incredible career. He's a Pac-12 pitcher of the year this year, and I think that's the stuff that we should be focusing on instead of one pitch that slipped out of his hand. Really unfortunate. The Commodores, though, it's the cardiac Commodores. Like, this is now twice that they've walked off in the bottom of the ninth here in Omaha already, and we'll see if they can beat NC State twice to get to the College World Series and defend their crown. 
The other one was in the 12th inning, wasn't it? Against Arizona? Yes, bottom of the 12th. Yeah. Yeah. I had – this is the difference between you and I. Uh, I, You saw that, and you were like, let's shout out Brendan Beck for it. I saw that, and I was like, sanction, because we should have had some sticky stuff available for him. You'd have to imagine (laughs) we'd have a little – Flipping out of his hand with some sticky stuff. Yeah, exactly. So – yeah, well, that was that was that, and then my last scholarship goes to non-conference challenges. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Coach K, uh, the Big Twelve SEC challenge matchups for this upcoming season have been announced, and we are in for a treat because we get Kentucky going to Kansas, we get Baylor and Alabama, mm-hmm. we get West Virginia and Arkansas, and sneaky, sneaky good game, Oklahoma State at Florida. Yeah, so uh, it's a good slate this year. It is a good slate this year. Tennessee at Texas, too. Yep. The Rick Barnes game. The Rick Barnes game. I hadn't even thought about that. Wow. The return trip. Yeah. I'm interested to see what kind of ovation he gets in that. I That will be fascinating, yes. I think after Shaka Smart, they probably appreciate him a little bit more. I would agree with that as well. Yeah. So. I think everybody appreciates uh, Rick Barnes a little more after, after Shaka. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's everything I got. Sorry. That was a big load of scholarships and sanctions. We're backed up. That's the show today. We will get back at you on Tuesday. Thanks for listening to Heat Check. Go Wolfpack. Sunday or Monday, you know that we flex. True. You can never make it more obvious. You checking for the heat, that's cold. That's cold, that's cold. Get it to the top of the top of this. You can never reach uh, these hoes. Up in the booth and we spin the truth. Aye. We inspire the youth and we get to the loop. You do what it does and we do what it do. We turn to the max and they got you on mute. You. Ooh, flow so high so you know Aye. I had to run it back. Blazes the ball and we run it like a running back. Gabe, I try so you know Aye. we having fun with that. Turn you in the so you know Aye. we ain't no coming back. Now we done with that.